0: Imagine what it would be like if we were really curious about each other. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relational Spirituality, the weekly podcast of LargerStory.com, the podcast that sees all relationships as spiritual and all spiritual formation as relational. Now here's your host for this week, Roseanne Moore. your story, audience. It is so good to have you back with us again today. I'm Roseanne Moore, uh, your host today for Relational Spirituality Podcast, and I have as my guest, my good friend, um, Andrea Wimberg. Andrea is the founder and CEO of Voids of Influence, um, a boutique business coaching and consulting firm. And um, we met in, what was it, Andrea, 2012? 2012 yes, at uh, Dr. Larry Krabb's, uh Next Step conference. And we worked together at one point and we are, we have been good friends ever since Next Step. And so I am excited to have her here today. Welcome, Andrea.
1: Thank you, Roseanne. I'm so glad to be here with you.
0: Um, one of the things that well, I want, I want to have you share a little bit about your journey, because in this quarter, we're talking about the things that shape us um, in our lives, things that, that we have to kind of throw off and, and um, in order to be formed more like Jesus. And you wrote a book uh, called Unfrozen, um, where you talked about your whole process of, of unraveling the, the pressured messages you got. And I would love to have you talk a little bit about that today. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, we also have to mention that you helped edit the book. You were like, (laughs) you were my writing coach slash editor. So, um, it, it, uh, yeah, so we've, we've definitely done a lot together, Roseanne. Um, you know, my message well, but as far as the messages that I got, I think Some of them were messages that I got and some of them were things that just came as a natural expression of who I am. You know, that Mm -hmm. desire to please and the desire to, I mean, I I always wanted to make a difference too, I think. Um, But I had this general sense that I really, in order to do both, um, make a difference and have good relationships, Like, I I really wasn't sure if that was possible to do both. And Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, that was part of part of the unraveling was trying to figure out how could you do both. And I think when I first read Connecting uh, by Larry Crabb back when I was a freshman in college at Nashville, um, it just really hit me as something like, oh, my gosh, this is the kind of connection that I want to have with people. Mm -hmm. This is the kind of difference that I want to make. And that was very formative in my desire to have that kind of connection. But then also to have an impact was difficult because how do you, how do you influence people? How do you make a difference besides connecting? Cause I felt like there was also this sort of message, or, you know, I felt, I felt a message, I guess, that I really wanted to share. And, um, and so how do you do both? Cause it felt like if, if I share this message, People aren't going to be very happy um, Mm -hmm. with me. And then I won't, I'll lose this connection that I want. And so um, I I was on a journey for probably a good 10 to 15 years just trying to figure that out. And the message, the message that you felt would be rejected was (laughs) say more. Uh, Yeah. I mean, pretty much anything. I mean, (laughs) I, I, I really, I I played this. Da- I had this dance, you know, growing up in a church where women didn't really women definitely weren't preaching, but women were also um, not doing a whole lot of teaching other than with children, which was fine with me. I like children, um, but it, there was something about like I had this sense of like maybe it was part of the relational thing. It was also I I didn't realize until much much later on that my brain is just very strategic oriented, strategic thinking. Uh-huh. And I'm guessing that some of that strategic thinking that I was doing at that time felt like I had answers to problems that I was seeing. But then if I bring up the problem, it's it's possible that they, other people aren't even seeing the problem. Right. It's also possible that as a young woman, um, they weren't you particularly the interested problem. in my my strategic thinking thoughts. Right. <laughs> Right. You
0: become the problem if you see it and you bring it up and they don't want to hear it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 So I think I think it was that it was it was that like, well, but I I, and I wasn't dating anybody, you know, I I wasn't married um, until I got to be about 20, uh, 26. I think I got married. But anyway, you know, early 20s and whatnot. I certainly was thinking along those lines of like, I want to get married. I don't want to just like tell like have all these answers to problems that I see, or at least, you know, potential answers and, um, and write myself out of my own love story as what I felt like I was going to do. And so, um, so that was, so they were both very tied together. It was like, you know, I had this desire to be connected to not only other people, but, you know, romantically and. But then, also, this very sort of business oriented side of myself that I didn't even realize that's what it was. Mm-hmm. It was just felt like they were incompatible mm-hmm.
0: yeah i I think there's often a very strong message, especially in the church, that women have to make themselves small to be good and um to be godly and it's such a um, dishonoring of. The gifts that god has placed in us and it's a, such a rejection of of his wisdom almost like he doesn't know like did he somehow forget that you were female when he
1: made you a strategic thinker you know, it's, i it's sure thought really, so <laughs> i was like uh, I, I should be a man because then i could use this right like i right. felt very i felt out of place Right, like, how am I supposed to be a woman and be like that? Like, I feel like I belong in you know these more executive kind of leadership rooms, uh-huh. but uh-huh. um, that the how was I going to get there? Right, right. And you've and I've watched you do it.
0: You've done it through connection, and you've done it through ethical influence rather than a pursuit of power. Um. And so I want to say more about that because you've done a lot of thinking about what does it look like to have, um, to bring your gifts to the table in a way that's really ethical.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's that internal battle between this desire for, for um, like I said, that desire for impact, I guess the desire to influence, but at the same time. Not wanting to run right over the top of everybody, like I didn't want to be as didn't want to steamroll anybody um and I think my relationships and my family and whatnot like that showed me i can't that's not very effective anyway mm-hmm. um to just steamroll people and just tell them what I think all the time like there has to be some softening, there has to be some patience on my part mm-hmm. and so yeah how do you how do you get into those positions? where you can actually be a part of the dialogue. Well, that was always the question. And I guess, are you asking me how I ended up getting to that point where I feel like I am part of the dialogue or what are you asking, Roseanne? Yeah. I mean, any part of that. One thing that I think I want to emphasize is
0: you haven't just used ethical influence as opposed to steamrolling because you're female. Mm. You've done it because it's it's (laughs) Mm. Christ-like that that and you actually work with with leaders male and female to yeah. to teach collaboration and and ethical influence, but yeah, talk more about how how did you get there? How did you get from the place of feeling like you had to be in ministry to make a difference to being able to make to make all of life your your place of influence?
1: hm yeah, I I went to seminary, um, and when I went to seminary, I looked at the course listings. I was like, I know I'm not going to be able to be a pastor in my particular um, corner of faith, and um, so. But what what could I do? And I didn't really know what the position would be. I just was like, how do I, you know, what classes could I take? What do I want to even learn? What do I want to grapple with? What am I struggling with inside that I need answers to? And so I just went through the course listing and was like, okay, I want to take that class. Yep. Definitely want to take that class, you know, it just kind of, uh-huh. went, and then I was uh-huh. like, okay, which, which degree would fit the classes that I want to take. And so I ended up with like a master's in, uh, counseling ministries, I guess is what it was called. Anyway. Um, obviously I used it a lot. <laughs> I got I got out of seminary and anyway. learned and grown so much. It was just a really formative time for me um to really get a sense of what Larry Crabb talks about in um pressures off about, you know, like the 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 key phrase in that book that really are a couple sentences that really capture it, I think, are that sense of like, um, you don't have to come to God clean. You can come to him for the bath. And I think I finally understood what that meant when I was, you know, in my early to mid twenties in seminary, but then getting out of that um, and then trying to figure out what I was going to do for work. um, That became, It was very evident very quickly that there was really no place for me where I felt comfortable in my own like I said, corner of faith, I guess, or the churches that I was used to going to. Um, and so I went back, I, I taught music again for another couple of years, ended up getting married and then did nothing, you know, not nothing, but, you know, raised children and that sort of thing for a while. And then still felt just this like angst of like, there's got to be more. I've got to be able to, yeah, there's so much in here that feels like it needs to come out. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I saw the movie Frozen with Mm -hmm. my kids. And I mean, wouldn't it be like God to use a children's Disney movie (laughs) to release one from from such a, um, you know, sense of like, I have to be a certain way or I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. But it just really felt like I was seeing, seeing so much, so many like this metaphor of my gifts playing out on screen in this character. And the real ultimate message being that, you know, you don't, you don't use your gifts out of fear and get anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's not for yourself. It's, it's to love Mm -hmm. that there is that love is how you use those gifts. And then that's how they become meaningful. And you just keep pursuing that service and love for others. And it doesn't, yeah, there's that, that little bit of ambition too, but Um, uh, then it became, it very much became, my mom was sick and, um, she ended up dying of Alzheimer's last year. And, but at that time it was like, okay, if I only had, you know, 10 to 15 years left of being able to use my, my brain, what am I going to do? Like, this is ridiculous. Why am I waiting around? And so it became Mm -hmm. this like, okay, I've got to put myself out there and make the offer but not mm-hmm. demand. And I think though mm-hmm. that language, I think very much came from my mm-hmm. experience with Larry, um, I'm learning from him. So, yeah. So the, the goal has always been just like put out the offer in love and be okay. You're okay. Even if it's rejected, that's okay. And it's going to be rejected in business mm-hmm. uh, multiple times before you get anywhere. And every, uh, you know, ev- all the time, <laughs> there's lots of rejection, um, but then you but you keep putting the offer out and then you start to see it making a difference and you're like, nope, we just keep going. So anyway, that, I'd say that's kind of the long and short of it.
0: One of the things that I appreciate about you and that I that I got to see firsthand when we worked together, um, was that you really do practice this in the way that you do business yourself. So even as the boss, even as the leader, um that you value the voices of other people. So it's not just like my voice matters and I'm going to use my voice, but it's, you're also inviting other people to the table to use their voice. You create, you use your voice to make space for other people's gifts and other people's offering um, as well. And I think sometimes, I think sometimes the language that we use in Christian circles um, about being selfless can be almost like an obliteration of self. Like we have to disappear somehow instead of an offering of ourselves that we are created in the image of God with good gifts that he wants to give to others through us. And I think one of the things I appreciate about you is that you not only bring your gifts to the table, but you invite other people to do that as mm. well. Um, you did
1: a really good job with that. Uh, If you don't mind, I'd like to speak to that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, the, one of the things that I was, that I was seeing as a young, as a youngster and then into, you know, those early adult years was, um, this disparity between church leadership, desiring people to be engaged. Uh-huh. That wasn't necessarily the word that they used, but that's what uh-huh. we use now to take initiative, to want, you know, to be involved in that sort of thing. Like, as I, I think as my like there was a lot of engagement when I, I was going to church as a youngster. And then and then maybe that engagement started to be in question. I started to see more maybe. Um, and I realized that there are a lot of people at church that are complacent instead of engaged. So they are, they are agreeing with everything that's happening. They like, you know, and they're happy, but they kind of, um, let the pastor be the hero. They let the church leadership be the hero and they don't use their own voice. They're not seeing that they have something to contribute. Mm -hmm. And so I was seeing that. And I think what I realized was that if we, if people don't find their voice, if they're not able to realize a sense of personal agency, that what I do and say matters, whether it's good or bad, like it's gonna, like it carries weight as, as Larry would say. Right. That's one thing that I also am like, okay, Larry, I understand that men need to carry weight, but so do women. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we want to carry weight too. I'm, I, I that's what I would say to him now give him a big hug actually I think I said it at one point but anyway <laughs> uh but yeah like we want to believe that it matters that work that our presence matters and and can right. make some sort of impact and when we see that happen we're then we kind of besides agreeing with what's going on in church uh-huh. or the messages that are we're hearing instead of just nodding our head and saying yes we start to use that critical thinking skills we start to Bring our our best to the situation. We start to you know make others you know in sharpen iron sharpens iron kind of thing. I think that's one of the things that I even I was a singer um, and and I would be like I would sing and then I would feel like I needed to be more quiet because other people around me weren't singing very loud. Um, and so in that very you know practical sense, I was holding back my voice because I didn't want to to just stand out with my own voice. So my whole life, I've been wanting other people to speak up,
0: to right. stand
1: up, to see, to speak out, to sing with all they have mm-hmm. so that I can sing with all I have <laughs> I would like right. to be able to use my voice and not have to hold it back. And I want that for everybody. And I think by, you know, encouraging other people to use their voices, to feel like they have agency. And then I have to, as a leader, I've got to be um, encouraging that. I've got to be thinking about what it takes to help them. You know, use their voice. I've got to acknowledge it and 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 see that it's credible and provide opportunity and really um encourage it so anyway that's that's part of what I hope to do as a leader, but I also hope that I can continue to help other leaders be able to do that. You know when
0: you said what you did about um you know pastors often wanting engagement, but people are are not bringing their voice. The the, um, the two thoughts occurred to me. Like on the one hand, that does let a leader play a hero, the hero role, which really is not good at we all. Found that.
1: it's yeah, right. Let's look at all um, of those examples all of of people. the celebrity
0: pastors yes. that have fallen in recent years or been exposed mm-hmm. as that. Yeah. And it and even if it's not on that level, there's something very isolating in having to be the hero all the time, you know? And so it's not, it feeds something that's not really healthy and it puts pressure on, even in the ones that seek to carry that position with integrity, it's very isolating and lonely for Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. them. But then the flip side of that is if you empower people to use their voice, you're going to run into people who don't use them graciously. (laughs) Yeah. And that's really hard. You know, so it can. I'm. I know it can feel like it, it's too dangerous. Um, too dangerous to allow other people to engage their influence. Um, certainly we've seen people who, and the part of that is legitimate. You know, there are people who tear apart churches who are not in leadership. Um, mm-hmm. but or companies tear, or
1: whatever. Yeah, or families. companies.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so. Talk a little bit more because you you said um, it's not just bringing your voice to the table. It's using your gifts and laws. Um, mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. actually have a program that has a section that it's called Love Edits. Mm-hmm.
1: Would you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I, yeah, I think. So it's one thing to encourage people to to find and use their voice. It's another thing to get to the point where you have a more mature Culture of like this is how we use our voices. Uh This is how you do it in love. This is how you edit Uh what you actually put out there. So um, I mean, back back in the what two thousands or early two thousands, I think that's when you know this idea of being real was a really big deal. That's always been a big deal to me, but that was really highlighted at that point. And um, so being real is great but is that the end of the story? No, mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. just about saying whatever's just underneath the surface. Mm-hmm. It's also getting in touch with what you really believe in deeply about mm-hmm. people, about God, about yourself, mm-hmm. about what you want. What do you really want from people? Do you mm-hmm. want them to just comply with your with, with what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, what are you looking for? And so when we take that, those under-the-surface um feelings and thoughts and just share them and be real. That just is that's that can just be jarring and it can be unhelpful. So instead, I think a more mature level is when you say, okay, I need to be honest with myself about those underneath the surface thoughts right. and feelings. Right. And then I need to go get down to the real, real me, which is what I really believe, who I am, who am I at my core? What do I really want for for whoever I'm talking with right now and be able to then use that as a filter and say, okay, now I understand what my initial reaction was. Now what do I want my response to be? That's a more mature response. Mm -hmm. And so helping people to find, not only to be able to be honest about that, that under the surface layer, but then, you know, get to the core of who they are and get a real clear sense of your own values and your own, your own, what you really, so what you really care about, what you want for people, your sense of mission, mm-hmm. which I don't think has to be the same for everybody. I think it has different nuances, even in the Christian realm. Um, and I think when people can do that and then they are, you know, they start to get used to that idea of I'm going to filter these things. It, then I think that we raise the level of conversation and collaboration and the way that we impact each other to a whole nother degree. I, you know, what you said about filtering it, it, it
0: both bringing your voice and filtering um, made me think of something Larry said at one point that if you, if you tend to like seek out people, you need to discipline yourself to seek silence and solitude at times. And if you tend towards silence and solitude, then you n- need to, to make an effort to surround yourself with people deliberately at times. And I think it's the same thing. Some people are very quick to bring their voice. And so the place there is to become more aware of, of that giving space to edit. (laughs) Whereas others, they, they're so used to just not speaking up that they may have to do it poorly to begin with. Absolutely. Um, You know, but bringing their voice is an important step um,
1: for them. I mean, let's go back to that. You can come to God for the bath. Right, right. You're not going to be perfect at this ever. Right. And you're definitely not going to be perfect at it right away. You know, you're not even going to do it well right away. So it is a matter of growth. And, you know, it. You, I think that's that's what pastors should expect. That's what leaders should expect of any kind. I mean, you know, all of our growth is incremental. It's not like this. Okay, now that I know this thing, I can make this immediate change in my life I mean that very rarely happens like that
0: right yeah
1: and I think the other thing too that struck me as you were talking
0: is how much what we do in terms of um how we process things reveals something about our view of God so if we feel like if our view of God is that we can't talk back like he's just like all overwhelmingly powerful and he's not somebody that we can engage uh, with doubts or questions or whatever. We're going to be, um, we're going to stuff things and we're going to think we're fine. We're going to think we're, we're performing correctly. And there will be this morass of nasty percolation <laughs> <underneath> <laughs> that will come out in, frust- in ways that we're then ashamed of. You know, or that we maybe don't even see, but the people around us know. Um, but the other side is um this failing if if we if we make ourselves the center, you know, or we make him in our image, then um we can just bulldoze everybody, and we see that. we see that happening in people who are so quick to rain down judgment on anybody who disagrees with them. You know, essentially they're making God in their image. So as you were saying that, I think being honest um, with ourselves also gives us an opportunity to get honest with God, like to look at how we're seeing him and asking ourselves, does that actually match up with the Jesus of scripture? Because it's so easy It's so easy to be shaped by things we don't even recognize in our culture, in our church denomination, things that aren't, aren't actually Christ-like, but they're, or families, whatever our, our experiences, we've just picked up this image of God that really isn't like him. And so the whole thing of spiritual formation is, is to some degree, stripping away those things. And, um, and what you're describing is relationships, engaging in relationships the way you're talking about, give a really good opportunity to see ourselves more mm. clearly. Mm. So well, Andrea, I um is there anything else? Cause we're I'm looking at the time and we got a little shorted today, but um what else? For our listeners, um, as they think about living with the pressure being off, bringing their gifts, bringing their voice, is there anything else you want to
1: add that you would say, mm-hmm. you know, when, it, when we were at, um, next step, uh, back, I said in t- 2012, um, Larry gave the example, or he he shared the quote, something along the lines of this from C.S. Lewis that. Um, that you never know how much you believe in the strength of a rope until you tie it around your waist and you jump off a cliff. Well, and that hit me uh-huh. because relationally, if I wanted to make a difference uh-huh. and I wanted to connect with other people, if I were driven by fear that I wouldn't get either one of those, then I would stay on the cliff. Uh-huh. I had to be able to say God loves me enough and that if I love others and I put myself out there imperfectly if I jump off the cliff but if I tie that rope around me first right. and and trust in God's love mm-hmm. and his forgiveness even if I messed it up that if I jump off that cliff and actually speak up actually mm-hmm. say the thing that I think I need to say in love not not just a I'm trying to I don't know. Sometimes people say things that are, I don't know that they maybe shouldn't say, (laughs) but, um, speaking up to offer your gifts, I guess is what I'm saying, you know, Mm -hmm. putting them out there, putting yourself out there and, and making that offer that God will catch me no matter what. And, um, I got home and there was a, um, a student that was in a program with me, um, Uh, student ministry, she had um, painted this image of a woman jumping off a cliff. And it just hit me so hard. And I thought, that's who I want to be. She looks so free. She's just like soaring through the air. And I picture myself, and I, I hope that other people could do this as well. Picture yourself trusting in God's love so much, no matter what happens when you jump, that you're willing to jump. And I think the jump is the, the question is what is the jump? And usually it I think it has to do with I need to put myself out there and not be afraid of the judgment while at the same time doing it in love and trusting that somehow this is all gonna shake out in the end and that God's got it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that that's the last thing that I would leave. That's so good.
0: You you were one who drew my attention to the fact that when we're angry or fearful. Underneath that is usually sadness. Mm-hmm. And so the the I was just thinking about the whole thing of jumping off the cliff often is like um, surrendering ourselves to the tenderness of God, you know, letting him tend the sadness instead mm-hmm. of being paralyzed in the fear or the anger, you know, the combativeness. Um, mm. Because fear can either... Um, They can be fight or flight, (laughs) you know, anger often, um, looks like it's something different, but it's not. And, um, so yeah, I love that image as something we leave today. What does it look like for you, for me, for our listeners to, to, um, jump off that cliff into God's love to, to surrender ourselves to his tenderness, to his care, um, with no guarantee that circumstances will turn out the way that we want them to. That's right. But trust that But I'll his, be okay. Yeah, we'll be okay. And and his power to redeem will be bigger than any mistakes we make yeah. along
1: the way. Yes. So, yes. You just never yeah. know where it'll take you. Yeah.
0: Well, Andrea, I love where it's taken you. <laughs> <laughs> watching you do that, watching you serving um, other people. Other people in business and bringing that to both, you've had contacts with, with Christian business owners, but you've also in, in secular circles, you're making a government. Difference. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been exciting,
1: exciting to watch you do that. Well, thank and, you for uh, all your help in getting me, getting me grounded and going with so many different ways that you contributed, Roseanne. I'm really grateful yeah. for you.
0: It was my pleasure. I, I've learned a lot from you. Um, and, and just enjoyed working with you. So we will probably have you back at some point in the future. Um, well, that would be fun. Thank you for being with us today. And I hope our listeners will join next week. We'll be uh, kept crap. So thanks so much folks for being with us today. Bye. If you like what you heard today, hit the like button just below. Then come back by subscribing to our podcast channel. For more resources on relational spirituality, go to our website at largerstory.com.